Race matters. 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 I'd like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting on unceded Gadigal land. This land has been in the hands of generations of Gadigal custodians for thousands of years before us, and it will continue to be in their hands long after us. It's a meeting place for sharing knowledge, stories and song, and we are privileged to be part of that storytelling today and every day at FBI Radio. I pay my respects to Gadigal elders past and present. We're broadcasting from Redfern right now, the birthplace of black theatre in this country and a site for resistance and resilience for First Nations peoples. You're listening to Race Matters. This is a show made by people of colour, speaking with people of colour, about the ways we understand and value our racial identities. I'm Sharika Hallelujah. And that storytelling and complexity continues well in today's episode. Now, when it comes to finding books and authors who aren't white, we've long been championing First Nations and writers of colour on the show. Whether it's some lush world-making of subversive fantasy or some non-fiction that distills the truths of the world we live in with hope and with fight, In a lot of ways, it feels like Race Matters is indebted to authors who have shared alternative visions of the world we want to live in, especially as racialized people. But we sometimes felt that there are too many books by writers of colour and not enough time to read and do their work justice. Ahead on the show, we are doing things a little differently today. We've reached out to our friends at Numb-based bookstore Amplify to do a little takeover of Race Matters to share what they've been reading over the last little while. Shuen and Marina founded Amplify as the country's first bookstore that is exclusively dedicated to books written by Black, Indigenous and people of colour. This is Book Club with Amplify and Race Matters, and you're going to hear the first in the series today. Stick around to hear about a piece of fantasy metafiction about grief and where inanimate objects come to life, a magical realism epic that flips colonial scripts and plays with language and craft, an unapologetically black young adult fiction, and an anthology of indigenous futurisms. And I'm Shuen, and we are the co-founders of Amplify Bookstore, Australia's first and only online bookstore dedicated to books written by Black, Indigenous and people of colour. We created Amplify as a space to help bring these authors who've historically been excluded to the forefront and to make sure that we all find representation in the media that we're consuming. So the theme of today's book club is amplify themed book it's our first episode and so we wanted to talk about books that we think really represent the store and what we stand for here at amplify so with the introduction of the kind of books that we curate in the store a question that we've come up against a lot is 
are they just books about race and racism? To which the answer is no. The definition of like an Amplify book is a book that is not just about race, but one where race matters, especially in fiction, but also obviously in nonfiction. But the driving force of the plot is not that they are of a particular race. Being part of a particular race or being a person of colour is just part of who they are and part of their identity. And it is not this huge magnified thing about their character and it's not the thing that drives the plot. And they are not racialized in ways that are problematic. that we created because roughly 10% of books being published are by black, indigenous and people of colour. So following that logic, 90% of the books on the shelves aren't by us. And so it's really hard to find these books. So generally speaking, <laughs> the two of us have very different tastes in books, which is totally fine because what's for you isn't necessarily for everyone else. Sometimes when you really love something, it's a perfect candidate of something that you should try to convince someone who might not otherwise pick it up to pick it up. And that's exactly what we'll be doing today. So I am a really big genre reader. I read a lot of fantasy and a lot of science fiction, whereas Marina reads more literary and contemporary literature. We don't always overlap what we're reading and we haven't in a really long time because of the bookstore. But today we will try to convince each other to pick up the books that we so dearly love and have loved for quite some time now. I'm talking about The Book of Form and Emptiness by Ruth Ozeki. Um, this book won the Women's Prize this year, so there's people other than me who also think it was good. She's also a booker shortlisted author. Ruth Ozeki is a mixed Japanese and white American author who is also a Zen Buddhist priest, which seems like a fun fact, but it is actually quite relevant to a lot of her books, especially this one. And you'll find a lot of sort of Zen teachings sprinkled into the plots. So the Book of Form and Emptiness itself is about a boy called Benny O who is 12 when his father dies suddenly and tragically and he starts to hear objects like inanimate things just household objects speaking to him and like complaining and making noises and such and then he lives with his now single mother Annabelle who is failing in her own grief at losing her husband and is increasingly developing a hoarding issue with Annabelle's grief in combination with Benny hearing things there's a lot going on in the O family house and it begins to turn into a pretty brutal living situation for them. And to escape all of this, Benny turns to the public library where he meets some coloured four new friends and the Book of Form and Emptiness, who is also a character. One of the most interesting things about the Book of Form and Emptiness is that the book is a narrator and it narrates probably at least half of the book, alternating mostly with Benny's voice. And so that's a really fun sort of metafictional element because you hear what's going on through the book, the way that the book is seeing it, and then also Benny's own perspective, and they're sort of in conversation with each other, and Benny's hearing the book alongside all the other inanimate things that he's hearing. And it's like a pretty spunky, sort of funny character, and talks a lot about why books are important, which was favourite thing about it, because the book itself has quite the ego, 
and talks a lot about why books are important and why we like them, which, as a book person who has now a bookstore also, I thoroughly enjoyed. Like, Benny just ghosts the book, and you get, like, pages and pages of book narration. The book's like, I don't know what's going on, which is really chaotic and a really interesting way for a physical book to be structured. And so there's just so many plot threads going out throughout the book. And so it was a really interesting metaphor in itself of, like, the book speaking and then to itself as well as all of these different pieces moving alongside each other. It was really interesting to read a book that was structured through, um, I guess, a book in conversation with the characters because it sort of pits you as the reader as a third party, like you're almost in it with them. (laughs) This really brings you into the fold as like an extra active participant. One of my favourite lines from the book's perspective in the book of form and emptiness was that if you let it if you listen it could change your life and it's talking about books and sort of the words that you're consuming and listening to and so I thought that was a really fitting one of the reasons that I picked the book of form and emptiness to talk about today was because of that because that's very fitting for the race matters chat and because it's at the core of our mission with Amplify is that books can change your life And I really acutely felt that when I first read a book that I felt represented by because it was at that point that I realised I should have been able to find that representation much, much sooner in my life. Because now I've been able to curate like a collection, like a library for myself of books with mixed characters. But then, of course, with being mixed, there's always at least two sort of elements you're contending with. So, you know, it gets niche (laughs) and it's hard to find that exact vision, which technically I haven't. Um, But it gets pretty similar and a lot of people have similar sort of struggles in that space. And so one of the reasons I love this book and the author Ruso Zeki is that she's also Japanese and white mixed like I am, which was what originally drew me to her. And then Benny in this book as well is half white American and half Japanese slash his dad is Japanese and Korean. Race isn't super important in this book, which is fine and like refreshing a lot of the time, honestly. But... It comes up in sort of throwaway lines where Annabelle, his mum, is the white parent um, and she's trying to sort of figure out how to keep Benny feeling connected to his grandparents and his dad, who's obviously not around to do that anymore, and elements of his dad's culture that might have previously been in their house in like small ways that Annabelle's wasn't the one to have. Like Annabelle wasn't the one putting those elements there. And so she's still trying to work through it and trying to figure out how to be a better parent while also keeping those things there for Benny, which is, I mean, hard for her because it's not her culture that she's trying to keep there. Um, And I think that really resonated with me. And I've talked to my partner who's also read this book and he didn't pick up on that at all (laughs) because they are really very small sections. And it's, I think, telling that it spoke to me and is something that I remember after all this time, all this time after reading the book. Um, and it's something that I think will resonate a lot with anyone who's um, got parents from different cultures or if you're from the diaspora, because there's a lot of ways where sort of when you lose like one element of a tangible connection to your culture or one of your cultures, it can be really hard to replace or get back. Ruth Ozeki sort of weaves that through with Benny figuring out who he is. He's also, I mean, only 12, the main character. Really gentle in its inclusion, but like very valuable.
you've just tuned in, you're listening to Race Matters. I'm Sharika Hallaludin. You're listening to the launch of our book club with Shuen and Marina of Amplify Books. That was Marina sharing her reflections on the fantasy metafiction, the book of form and emptiness, on grief, playfulness, and what it's like to encounter work that reflects some of her life experiences as a mixed race person of colour. Coming up, we're going to hear about an epic piece of magical realism that subverts colonial narratives and a roundup of First Nations books that demand your attention. Brings us to my book, which is Babel on the Necessity of Violence or the Arcane History of Oxford Translation Revolution by R.F. Kuang. It is a hefty title, which I will from now on just refer to as Babel or Babel. And it is an incredible achievement of fantasy. It's not very fantasy. It's very much a magical realism, light fantasy. The key themes that Babel tackles is a lot on race, British imperialism, colonialism, feminism and class and the book itself is set in the 1830s I want to say it's during the Victorian era it's during the peak of British colonialism and our main character Robin whose name he picked himself because he was orphaned in China he was plucked from his home in Canton and taken away by this mysterious white man to England to study languages And in this world, language holds a particular power because it activates magic in silver. And silver is actually what saves Robin from death. His mom died of a plague that he was saved from by the power of a silver bar. And to like power up the silver bar and to make the magic work, you have to etch words in two different, two or more languages. And that will activate the bar and whatever word you etch on it will kind of guide what the bar does. So like you can etch something on like healing and the bar would heal you, which is what happened to Robin in Canton. And so Robin gets shipped off to England and he spends his late childhood, early teen years studying languages and finally gets into Oxford, which is where his foster father works at and he is there at the Tower of Babel to study languages. The plot thickens when Robin gets recruited to work for an underground society of rebels that are working against Oxford and the Babel Institute because of the way that the Institute contributes to British colonial efforts and how their knowledge as immigrants and as people who are plucked from their homes is used to oppress and colonize. And they take them to Oxford and they use their knowledge to help power the British colonial rule. And Robin finds out about this and he gets really upset. And so he decides to work for the Underground Secret Society. And that's when the plot really starts getting getting going. And uh, basically the four characters that we follow throughout the entire book, it's him, Robin, who is Canton mixed Chinese white. Um, there's Raimi, who is... Indian and there's Victoire who is Haitian black and there's Letty who is our crying white woman of the story. They all come from underprivileged backgrounds or I guess in Letty's case she's rich but she's a woman in 1830s so the way that R.F. Kuang writes 
this book is honestly incredible. But there's just plot twist after plot twist. And the way that R.F. Kong writes characters, she writes really compelling, very complex, nuanced characters. And they're never straight up good guys. There's always levels of complexity behind them. It reminds me a lot of this like bell hooks quote that I will admit I saw on Twitter the other day by uh, bell hooks bot. Um, and it says that we have to constantly critique imperialist white supremacist patriarchal culture because it is normalized by mass media and rendered unproblematic and it is the same energy that uh, this is exactly the same energy that Arfcom brings into Babel that was Xuan talking through a huge piece of fantasy titled Babel with that we can't talk about a work of fantasy and colonialism without honoring the legacy of colonialism that this country is seated in in the final part of today's book club we're going to hear a roundup of first nations writers who are writing in explicit defiance of imperialism and racism and those who carve their own worlds that are autonomous and freeing here's shuen and marina one of the first books that I picked up moving here was Australia Day by Stan Grant. Um, I think it's a really great starter to the conversation around why we should abolish celebrating the 26th of January. It really helped me as someone who isn't Australian and never learned about Indigenous issues prior to moving to Australia. It really taught me and helped me understand why A, very pertinent and issues that exist within our society today are still existing overall i just think it's a really great starter pack it's um it really helped me in my journey of learning more about indigenous issues i highly recommend it to anyone who has like racist parents or grandparents or someone who's a racist in your life and who thinks that we should be celebrating january 26 because stan grant does come from both sides of the argument which i know sounds really wild but Obviously, he stands on the side of abolishing it, but it's an incredibly accessible book, and that's why I still continue to recommend it. And my second and very on-brand recommendation is The Upwelling by Lystra Rose. It is a YA alternate timeline fantasy. It has a lot of heart. It's very unapologetically Black. It follows a little girl who is a surfer and she surfs into like a tidal wave and it takes her into this alternate world where this alternate dimension where the first settlers never came to Australia. So it is still an Australia that is rife with indigenous cultures and um, like all good YA fantasy, she is forced to save the world with her ragtag group of friends. got Another Day in the Colony by the very brilliant Dr. Chelsea Wotego, who is a Munanjali and South Sea Islander woman. Um, and it's an essay collection. It's short, it's punchy, and the driving theme of it all is F, hope, <laughs> be sovereign. Um, it's an incredibly powerful collection with a primary audience of Indigenous readers about declaring independence and sovereignty and generally just like down with the colony. And so it like it wasn't for me primarily but i am very happy to be part of the secondary audience for that book a short story anthology called this all come back now edited by corey and lebanese writer michaela saunders um and i could tell you what it's about but michaela puts it best 
in the book's intro herself when discussing the lack of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander authored speculative fiction that is available to us. And when she's talking about basically the white tastemakers who have published every book ever that we get to read, she says, taste is judgment, which determines the way we, ways we read, enjoy and interpret stories. And this is always, always shaped by our worldviews, which are always cultural. And so with that in mind, when you consider speculative fiction anthology as like a genre that is often seen as something that's telling stories that aren't true or real because it's speculative, Michaela says, while agreeing with like terming the collection of specfic, that these are not stories that diverge from reality as defined in a Western scientific materialist sense. These stories are about our realities. This All Come Back Now has an absolutely star-studded cast of contributors, including Michaela herself, as well as uh, Stella Prize winner Evelyn Araluen and a bunch of other authors. One thing that we learned from Amplify is that if you've never sought out to read books by non-white authors, you've probably read barely any if any, to be perfectly honest, which is not your fault. It's the canon and the way we're taught. Um, go out and find something because the only way to find them really is to actively read widely and seek out books by people of colour and people from cultural backgrounds that are not your own or that you're not familiar with. And while it's good and fun to learn from these books, which like we all do when you're not familiar with things, it's still very important to keep in mind that it's never anyone else's job to educate you on their culture or cultures, but it's a very good place to start. At Empify, we've realised that you don't have to read books by people of colour solely to change your mind. You can just read books by people of colour because you enjoy reading and you want to read diverse stories because there is value in diverse stories and it is unfortunately something that you have to seek out. That is all for Race Matters this week. I'm Sharika Hellaludin. You've been listening to the first episode of Book Club with Amplify, an online bookstore dedicated to the works of Black, Indigenous and writers of colour. Thank you so much to Shuan and Marina for curating and chatting through these titles and sharing their reflections on the work that they do. If you want to learn more about Amplify and the book spoken about today, we've left all the details in our show notes. If you're in Nam, you can catch Amplify at some pop-up locations from December 3rd and the following weekends. We'll also share those details in our show notes. You can listen back to episodes of Race Matters at fbiradio.com slash race matters. Bye. Race matters. 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 Race matters.